Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment. Yes, another Black History Moment with Bo. And before we get started, you all know I don't give shout-outs. But today I got to give a shout-out to my friends and my loyal listeners. Thank you for being with me through these 11 seasons. And I hope that you stick around because I guarantee you it's only going to get better. And if you should happen to be a new listener, I say welcome. Welcome to our show. And I hope you jump on board because this is going to be a good ride. And this train is traveling slow enough that everybody can jump on board. But it will not stop. Today I'm going to crawl into the darkness and tell you a story about a place that was literally hell on earth for a black man. But it is our history, and history is vital. How do you plan for today and tomorrow if you don't know what happened yesterday? So buckle up, my friends, and let's slip into a little darkness. You know, about 100 miles south of Memphis in the Mississippi River Delta, the birthplace of the blues, Mississippi State Prison in Parchment, Mississippi, has become as much a historical landmark as it is a penitentiary. You see, it's only about 30 miles from where Emmett Till was murdered in 1955 and surrounded by uninhabitable swampland. It was the basis for the movie Cool Hand Luke and Brother Where Out Thou. It was referred to as Destination Doom. You see, growing up in the Mississippi Delta, this was the only prison that the children knew. And they didn't know much about it, but they knew it was a place they never wanted to end up at. And the danger that one would end up there was a real thing. The history of Mississippi State Penitentiary is a history of failed reforms. Its creation in 1901 was born of a statewide shame and frustration at the contemporary system of convict leasing. You see, in the Reconstructionist South, State coffers were empty, prisons destroyed, and their former free labor supply was emancipated. It was over, and black people could walk out of that cotton field. So you know what a lot of southern states did, including Mississippi? They began arresting almost exclusively young black men on charges ranging from laundering to larceny to murder. Some were legitimate but many more were fabricated and the state began leasing the prisoners to wealthy contractors who would further sublease them to companies worse than slavery. Jim Crow justice. The convicts under convict leasing would do the kind of work that free labor did not want to do. In other words, the work a white worker might not want to do. And my friends, under convict leasing, the inmates were essentially slaves once again. They worked long hours with no money, were paid poorly, 
were fed poorly and slept in tents. At work sites doing dangerous jobs like dynamiting tunnels for railroad companies and clearing malaria-filled swamps for construction. Convicts, sometimes even children under the age of 10, were whipped and beaten, underfed and rarely given medical treatment. And do you know what those that speak the truth said? Between 9 and 16% of convicts died yearly in the 1880s. But guess what? Whiteness began to resent the system that drove wages down for free workers. And in 1904, Mississippi elected a new governor, James Varnaman, who aimed to reform the system in part to benefit the low-class whites. Parchment's first year of operation was in 1905. It was massive, remote, and modeled after a traditional southern plantation. Parchment was originally comprised of three separate farms, a small farm which was maintained by white convicts, a smaller one framed by women, mostly black, and a huge sprawling plantation for the prisoners, black convicts. Now check this, it was over 20,000 acres and 46 miles. It was intended to be self-sufficient and profitable for the state, and it was. Convicts called gunmen picked cotton under the watch of the most violent offenders who were given guns and called trusty shooters or trustees. But they were convicts that got rewarded if they shot you trying to escape. And you see, the farm was profitable. So profitable that in 1918, the prison had a net revenue of $825,000, or about $800 per inmate. In 1911, the New York Times had the nerve enough to run a sprawling spread on Sunday edition, which heaped all kind of praise on the prison. The pride of Mississippi, however, is the parchment place. And it also had the nerve enough to say, actually, instances have been known of when Negroes were turned out of the penitentiary, given a new suit and $10 in money, they would not want to leave and would require if there was in some way by which they could stay there. Can you believe that shit? Because in reality, parchment was nearly uninhabitable. Convicts worked six days a week, lived in barracks with no separation or classification by crime, and were often subject to punishment by a whip referred to as Black Annie. And the parchment farm stayed this way more or less for the next 70 years. Cotton picking became mechanized and the state instituted some small reforms. It had a relatively good-for-nothing parole board that was deferred to the superintendent and a small vocational and educational programs that excluded black prisoners. A maximum security unit with a guard tower, fences, and gates housed individual cells a gas chamber for execution, and a solitary confinement wing. Parchment, my friends, remained frozen in time. A segregated, harsh prison farm. 
And it was during this period that it housed some of the most famous prisoners. Elvis Presley's father, Vernon, was imprisoned in 1938 for check forgery. And blues singer Buka White and Sunhouse for dubious claims of violence. After his release, Buka White composed his famous Parchment Farm Blues, which warned young men about the horror of the prison. And some of our freedom riders, you know who they were, young civil rights activists who boycotted Jim Crow laws, served time at Parchment, although they were segregated from the general population. And the gentleman by the name of Claude Liggins, who's 77 years old, said the racism by the guards at Parchment was mostly directed at the white freedom riders. They couldn't understand why they would go against their own race and support us, Liggins, who was black, said. And several white men were almost beaten to death. Now, it just so happens that in 1971, a civil rights lawyer named Roy Habert visited a convict at Parchment, who was challenging his conviction. And while there, Harbor heard accounts from other inmates and personally witnessed the conditions which he described as the last legal vestige of slavery. Almost a century earlier, the 13th Amendment had abolished slavery in all cases except in penal servitude. You can make somebody work if they're a prisoner. And using that distinction, they were able to maintain a slave state within the prison. In 1942, the prison ended the practice of convict leasing. The State Prison Reform Act of 1964 banned the use of the lash. Mechanical equipment was purchased to increase agricultural yields and ease the physical toll of farm work. Vocational training and job counseling were offered for the first time. And in 1971, lawsuit filed by four parchment inmates against the prison superintendent alleged that living quarters at parchment were infested with maggots and rats, that raw sewage was dumped in open spaces on the farm, and that inmates were overworked underfed, denied medical care, and subject to routine violence. In his 1972 decision, federal judge William Keady called for an immediate end to unequal treatment of black inmates at Parchment, who made up two-thirds of the prison population. And what the court found out was that twice the number of blacks were required to live in the same amount of dormitory space as white inmates, and black inmates were subjected to greater punishment or more severe discipline than white inmates for the same damn thing. And the prison practiced racial segregation, contrary to the law of the United States. You see, my friends, a lot of that crap is going on right today in some of those southern penitentiaries. It might not be convict leasing, but it's so close to it. And they're always investigating and setting up a special council to look into things, but things never really change. Even our young men are still doing the stupid things that it takes to do to wind up in these places. 
how stupid must you feel sitting up in penitentiary for life for killing somebody while you're trying to rob a 7-Eleven out of $25? How stupid is that? Or you shoot somebody over your woman. You go to penitentiary, the woman will still be out here with somebody else. Well, friends, that music tells me that it is that time. But before I go, I got to leave you with this message. When you allow the wrong people in your house, stuff will come up missing. Stuff like joy, peace, love, hope, faith. Yes, people steal these things. And that is why I am no longer giving anyone the benefit of a doubt. You are what you show me. Friends, have a great day. Peace to my ancestors and my elders. I walk in your strength, legacy, and power today and every day. Until next time, my friends, it has been my honor.